Did I ever tell you about the time that someone tried to witness to me at a gym? This was about 30 years ago, so the details are kind of fuzzy, but here's what I remember. I was a youth pastor at the time, which is what makes it extra fun. Youth pastor, I'm in New Ulm, Minnesota. I'm working out at the New Ulm Fitness Center when a guy who I've never talked to before, he comes up to me and he interrupts my workout. I don't remember his name. We're going to call him Melvin. So <laughs> evidently that's a funny name. Melvin, <laughs> Melvin walks up and he introduces himself, engages me in about two minutes of small talk, and then instantly pivots to spiritual matters. Oh man, it was almost this direct, like, hi, my name's Melvin, nice to meet you. What do you think of Hellfire? That, it was just about like that. Now, I, I thought what was happening here is, okay, Melvin is setting me up to tell me about Jesus, this is gonna be fun, let me let this play out a little bit, see how long it takes me to realize we're actually on the same team here, but I was wrong about Melvin. He, the deeper that he got into his script, the more I began to realize he was an evangelist for one of those religions that sounds a lot like Christianity on the surface, but as soon as you go a little bit deeper, it's, it's got some very fundamental differences um, between what we believe and, and what they believe. So as, El, as Melvin got deeper into his script, I had a few questions of my own for Melvin. And as soon as I started asking these questions, Melvin started going, uh, I'll be right back. And he leaves, he walks across the room where another guy, an older guy, was hovering within earshot. It was his backup. And so now Melvin and his backup come and start engaging me in this conversation that I didn't want to be in. And I remember thinking, dear God, if I've ever done that to somebody else, if I've ever come across that way, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Oh, the Melvin method of witnessing, it felt so forced. It felt so awkward. It felt so not helpful. So here's what we're going to talk about today. For those of us who look to the Bible as our standard for belief and behavior, what do we do with passages like this? Out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, do the work of the evangelist. What does that mean? If, if evangelizing is something we're supposed to do, how do we witness well? That's what we're going to talk about today. And here's the context around this conversation, if you're just joining us. We're closing in on the final weeks of a series, a six-part series called More Jesus, Less Blank. Well, in week one of this series, we introduced you to these continuums, this tool that we've been working on as a church since almost the start, since we, we began. The tool that we're talking about, it identifies six core practices, along with some important milestones along the way for people who want to become more like Jesus. And in week one, we spent some time reflecting on this, of how much that is so good in our world can be directly linked to people doing things like going to hillsides and, and, and bringing kids home. Things like reaching out to organizations, like Real Hope, finding how you can make a real difference. So much of what is so good are people becoming more like Jesus. And, and so imagine a world, that's what we did in week one, where more people were becoming connected, like a close-knit family, where more people were serving the way that Jesus modeled and taught, 
where more people were becoming joyful stewards of everything that God has entrusted us with, where more people were becoming advocates for someone who needs help, and more people were contributing to communities that were all in on the next generation. Well, in this series, what we're doing is instead of trying to zero in on all of these, we're zeroing in on one for this series, the Discover Continuum. We're, we're zeroing in on what does it mean to have a deeper, more meaningful walk with God and looking at these different milestones along the way. All right, so that was week one. We dedicated week two of this series to those who would identify on this continuum as, as I'm not interested or I'm barely interested. And we extended the invitation to explore the interesting. There's good news. There's good news for sincere seekers. Faith and facts are not at odds. Can I get an amen? Not at odds. All right, so that was week two. In week three, we built on that premise. In week three, we dedicated it to those who would identify as curious. Curious. And there's good news for you who are curious as well. As you explore the backstory of the Bible and the credibility of the witnesses and how carefully these, these testimonies were handed down, you'll discover they really did believe that the impossible happened. They believed that Jesus really did die and was buried and rose again. And as a result of what he did on our behalf, our final moments of embodied existence, they don't end in a hospital bed. They don't end on a battlefield. They don't end at a crime scene. They don't end at the site of a tragedy. Our final years of embodied existence won't be dominated by dementia or disease or bodies that are slowly wearing out. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was a sign of things to come, and that's good news. All right, we dedicated last week, week four, to those who are in Christ. The word of God has good news for those who place their faith in Christ. Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In Christ, the word says, those who were once far away have been brought near. In Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. As we mature in our faith, as we develop a deeper and more meaningful walk with God, the good news just keeps getting better and better and better and better. So if you're taking notes, we're finally to our first blank. That might be a record for how long it took to get it there. If we've got good news that's too good to keep to ourselves, how do we witness well? That's what we're gonna press into. If we've got good news that's too good to keep to ourselves, all right, how do we share that? Well, today is dedicated to those of you who would say, I'm in Christ, I'd love to witness well, help me out with that. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. How, how do we share the good news in a way that's not awkward? It doesn't feel forced, like we're reading somebody else's script. I'm a big fan of best practices, big fan of best practices. So let's see what we can discover if we look at the example of a real first century follower of Jesus named Philip. Here's a question we can write down, then we're gonna talk about it for a while. What can we learn from Philip the evangelist? Philip was so good at evangelizing, he earned a moniker in the first century before the book of Acts was done. They called him Philip the evangelist. 
So evidently, we've got some things we can learn. So let's take a look at this evangelist at work. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. And I want to invite you to read this, this whole chapter and actually look at where it fits, what comes right before, what comes right after, because it's some of those sections we've been looking at in this series. But um, let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, in the beginning, just to quickly summarize, beginning of chapter 8, widespread persecution had just broken out in Jerusalem. And so these followers of Jesus, they were scattered. And Philip was one of these people who was scattered. Philip went north to a city called Samaria, and that's also the name of that region, and he had a tremendous impact there, tremendous impact. As he began telling people about Jesus, one of the things that started happening is the things that were happening around Jesus started happening around Philip. And people were amazed, and they were blown away by this. So that's where we're picking up the story. Right after that. So uh, Acts chapter 8, we'll start with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now this is interesting, to use your word, Jason, in the first or second week. The Greek word translated here as angel, it's a word that means Messenger. If you were just reading this in Greek, it would just say messenger. You would translate in your head, oh, it's probably one of those heavenly messengers. The word uh, that is used in Greek um, for messenger shares the same root of the word that we translate as evangelist. So in Greek, God is sending a spiritual messenger to tell a human good news bringer to hit pause on all this great stuff that's happening in Samaria. Hit pause and go to this desert place. Now, in, you can read this for yourself. In chapter 8, in Samaria, people are getting healed. They're physically getting healed. In Samaria, people are receiving the Holy Spirit, and unclean spirits are getting cast out. In Samaria, crowds of people, crowds of people are placing their faith in Christ. Men and women are getting baptized. Why would you step away from what looks like this is where God is moving. Why would you step away from that and then head to a watering hole near a deserted city on a rarely traveled road? In my head, the picture I've got is a just thriving Pentecostal megachurch that has this revival and people are getting healed and all this stuff is happening and Philip's on his way there and then he gets this messenger, a spiritual messenger that says, no, don't go there. I want you to go picture one of those dystopian desert towns, those ghost towns, you know, that shot in sepia or whatever it's called, you know, right? It, why would I do this? It's, it's kind of like that. So let's see what Philip does. Verses 27 through 28. Uh, and Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. All right, some interesting history here. Judaism and Christianity go back, their history with, with Ethiopia, at least 3,000 years. 3,000 years. There's evidence that Judaism, then Christianity, has been in Ethiopia that long. A 1,000 years before Philip, teaching team, we're, we're prepping for our next series, for Sex Sabbath, for St. Kings, for St. Chronicles, there's an account there of a queen from that region coming up to see Solomon, King Solomon. That's in the Bible. What you won't find in the Bible is some lore 
that is also out there that is pretty solid lore um, as far as a lot of people are concerned here that the queen, when she was coming back, this is the lore now, this isn't in the Bible. When the queen's coming back, she came back pregnant with Solomon's baby. That lore is connected, you can look this up, it's connected to ancient Ethiopian traditions and artifacts and even sacred buildings. In fact, as I was following this rabbit trail, I came across an article from the Smithsonian Magazine. They said there was enough there. They actually sent a reporter to Ethiopia to check whether or not the accounts that the lost Ark of the Covenant ended up in Ethiopia. There's a very specific building that they believe it's in. All this is traced to this story and linked to the story we're reading right now. Now again, that last part I was telling you is lore. You can go ahead and, and Google Keepers of the Lost Ark, Smithsonian Magazine, and read more about that. But we're going to go back to the text. We're going to go back to the text. In the text, an African official, a eunuch, was on his way back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem, where he had gone at Jerusalem to worship the Jewish God. And something was drawing him in to the sacred writings of the people of the God of Israel. But there was so much he didn't understand. And that brings us to verse 29. All right, so verse 29 says this, And the, say it with me, Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. If you're taking notes, you might want to note this. The work of the evangelist is the work of who? The Holy Spirit. The work of the evangelist is really the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the evangelist is spirit-fueled. At some point, at some Christian gathering, someone introduced Philip to the Holy Spirit. And they began to teach and train him where he was able to, over time, discern when the Spirit is saying something like, go over to that chariot over there. The Holy Spirit loves to set things up. Loves to set things up. If you're doing what feels too forced, it just might be too forced. Verses 31 and 30, or 30 and 31, says this. Back to our text. So Philip ran to this official and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Conversations go so much better when people invite us into the conversation. Can I give an amen? amen. You know, yeah. Conversations also go so much better when we're answering questions that people are actually asking. Can I give an amen to that too? All right, what if more of us more of us. We're more like Philip and less like Melvin. Where we're learning how you discern the Spirit's leading. You show up. You make yourself available. And when we see a need that somebody has, we listen to that need and we respond to that need. I remember the number of times I would go to a teaching or a conference that was training with us with evangelism and they'd hand us a script. Somebody else's script. Does God ever use that? Yes, he does. But as I'm reading and I'm looking at this example, the thought occurred to me, and you might want to write this down. You don't need someone else's script when you are part of the story. Philip was part of a story. His name, if you read in Acts, it comes up in chapter 6. 
He's got a story. He was invited into this story of what God's doing. He was inviting into this gathering that was unlike any other gathering that the world had ever seen. These people coming from all these different backgrounds were united around this man, Jesus, who they believed had rose from the dead. And they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to caring for one another. They were committed to God, committing to others. And Philip was one of seven men who was serving in a role where what they were doing is they were looking out for the widows in their midst. He was a part of this gathering. He was serving. He was caring. Before Philip got invited to sit with the African official, he already spent lots of time sitting with people that he could ask questions about. He was learning about the faith. He, he was studying the scriptures with these people. He was getting equipped for something that the Spirit was going to set up later on. All this was equipping, was equipping Philip to go, to go and share the story of what was happening with him and what he was experiencing with these people. The rhythm that I believe we see for God's people in the scripture, it's a rhythm of gathering and going, gathering and going, gathering and going. We gather with other believers to encourage, support, learn from one another, and then we go. We share the good news of this story that we're a part of what God has done and what he's doing. All right, let's continue on with our text. Verses 32 through 35. Now the passage of scripture that the official was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. When did Philip open his mouth? Then, then, when he had that opening, when the eunuch asked him a question, in a world filled with so many voices shouting at us. What if we waited for the then? What if we, we found that one of the best ways we can serve people is to listen? To listen. The language that the author, a man named Luke, uses here is really interesting. Just as Luke describes the resurrected Jesus, if you remember this on the, the, the road to, the, to Emmaus, that Jesus is opening their minds to these scriptures, now Philip is doing the same. Jesus had opened the minds of these believers. They taught people like Philip. Now he's helping to open the minds of others through the power of the Holy Spirit. As the passage goes on, the African official wants to be baptized, and he's baptized. And the scripture says this in verse 39, this eunuch then went on his way. What does it say? He went rejoicing. It wasn't forced. It wasn't awkward. He went on his way rejoicing. And that's not the first time that joy is associated with evangelism. Earlier in the same chapter, when Philip is witnessing in Samaria, it says this in verse 8, there was much what in the city? Much joy. Much joy in the city. So here's a question for you. Would you like to experience joy? the joy of spirit-fueled evangelism. Now, for the record, there's going to be times when witnessing is hard. There's times where witnessing means doing the thing you don't want to do. Taking a stand 
that is not a popular one to take. There's times when witnessing requires us to give up things we'd like to hold on to. There'll be times when witnessing requires us to turn the other cheek, when it requires us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecutes us, persecute us, or to take up our cross. But playing a part in helping somebody come to Christ, I bet your dad would be tearing up as I say this word right now, to be part of the joy of helping someone come to Christ is one of the deepest forms of joy there is for you and for them. And this example that we've just seen, I'm so thankful that we read this one, and there's a reason why we did this one and not the one that comes before it. Because if we only read the example that comes before it with Philip, we'd go, I can't do this. Because in the example that comes right before this, Philip was in Samaria. He was doing the work of the evangelist, and he was using his spiritual gifts and skills that most of us don't have. He was preaching to these huge crowds. Paralyzed people were being healed. Unclean spirits were coming out. That's not something that most of us feel like, oh yeah, I'm going to go do that. That work was effective. It was gospel-centered. It was spirit-fueled. It was effective. Why do we know? Because people were coming to faith. People were getting baptized. And there was joy. But look at this example that we just looked at here. Where all Philip did is he just was trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. He, he, he walked alongside somebody else who had questions. That guy opened up the door to the questions. Philip, I'm like, I know the answer to that one. How fun is that if like, that's the only scripture he knew, right? You know, I know this one. And, and look at the results. It was gospel-centered, it was spirit-fueled. There was a baptism. Right? People were coming to Christ. And he was filled with joy. It's the same outcome. But we can all do this. We can all do this. So here's today's invitation. It's, it's for all who desire to witness well. We invite you to gather and to go with purpose. Gather and go with purpose. I'm a visual learner, so we took a shot at trying to make this visible. We, we created a, another one of our graphics, and we love feedback on this because we're trying to integrate a lot of thoughts from a lot of different people, trying to be true to this text. So we'd love, because we want this to be as helpful as possible and to fit our, our context here. Um, trying to illustrate what we learned from Philip the Evangelist visually. So again, first look at our early draft. It begins with a rhythm. So we'll put up this first basic look at it here. It's this rhythm of gathering and going, gathering and going. We gather with others who are in Christ to encourage, to support, to learn from one another, and then we go. We go back to our friends, back to our families, back to our schools, back to our workplaces, back to our teams, back to our neighborhoods, back to our social media sites our coffee shops, grocery stores, places where people could use some good news. And we gather and go with purpose. Let's add that to our graphic now. Gather and go with purpose. So we've got these other things we want to say. Show up, shake hands, and serve. When we gather, when we go, let's try doing these three things consistently over time and see what happens. See what happens. If you show up, you shake hands, and you serve. So when we gather, come with a humble learning posture. Come ready to engage with the scriptures. Test your ideas. Learn and grow and shake hands. Find your people. 
Get to know others who can be a source of support and encouragement to you. People you can count on to pray for you and, and offer good advice. And then serve. Join a team. Contribute to building the kind of community that you want to be a part of. The kind of community you want to invite others into. And then, as we gather, gather with purpose, also go. And go with purpose. Show up. Be fully present. Shake hands. Get to know those around you. And serve. That's something that Jesus taught all his disciples to do. As we gather with purpose, we continue to learn and grow. We contribute to building the kind of community we're excited to be a part of. One where we see more people becoming more like Jesus. And as we go with purpose, more people begin to, to see more of Jesus in us. They see and sense that there's something different, as people did with the early church. So let's add another layer to this now. As we gather and go, let's listen and respond. Listen and respond. Let's add that to our graphic too. Jesus told those who gathered around him, you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. When we took a deeper dive in our last series, we, we learned that those who, in our past series, we learned that those two things, salt and light, those are two of the most valuable things there were. As we gather, are we listening to the Holy Spirit responding in ways where we shine like a city on a hill? And as we go, are we adding value to the lives of others? If you are, then the word says this, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. As people see this, you're serving, you're loving, that question will get asked. And that brings us to one final layer that we'd like to add to our graphic. The invitation to follow Jesus, invitation to join him in his work. His work. The more that our gathering and going is gospel-centered, it's about good news, and it's spirit-fueled rather than us trying to make it happen, the more we're going to experience that joy that's associated with authentic Christian good news sharing. Because what we're experiencing and what they're experiencing, it's not us trying to force something. It's us getting to be part of a good work. God at work. Right, let me close with a short story, and we're going to close, seal our time with a song. As I was doing my research for this message, I came across a story of a young pastor who led a hardened criminal to Christ in a southern jail. And that criminal said this to the preacher. He said, preacher, don't get a big head because I accepted Christ. You're just the 25th man. The inmate was saying this. He said, 24 others were here first. They broke up that soil, that hard heart of mine. You're just the 25th. The 